Hello, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, from the Columbia Bureau by Mizzou beat writer Dave Matter. And uh, here to kind of talk, Dave, a little bit about what this process is looking like of trying to get, you know, plans locked and loaded for a college football season. And people say, well, you talked about that last time. And it's true, we, we did, but there have been some changes since then, including some comments from Mizzou Athletics Director Jim Sterk, which I think are interesting. So we're going to get into the Missouri side of this um, and also the national side of this, some of the conversations that are taking place. So for folks who are joining us for the first time, maybe found out about the podcast from our, our video at stltoday.com, welcome. We are glad you're along for the ride. We want to invite you to something we've got going on next week, our first ever virtual STL Sports on Tap, presented by Scotsman coin and jewelry will take place at 7 15 p.m on wednesday may 27th very easy to get involved with this uh, you don't even have to get up off your couch you can just go to stltoday.com slash on tap you can register it's a free event you can uh, register early will allow you to submit questions early and also receive an event reminder dave will be a part of it we'll be joined by Derek gould benjamin hockman and jim thomas we talk all things zoo cardinals blues we think it'll be a good time um, just kind of a way to get together and, and hang out a little bit uh, before we can all see each other in person. So looking forward to that, Dave. And I imagine we'll, see, we'll hear a lot of questions from folks who, who want to know about the, the chances of a regular or altered college football season this fall. When we last talked about this, there was kind of a, an assumption, if you will, that, hey, students are going to have to be on campus for there to be a football season. We're, we're seeing some figures who, who lead sports um, in college to kind of try to walk that back or maybe alter it a little bit, including Jim Sterk. How has that tone shifted in Jim Sterk's latest comments? Yeah, he talked to the media on Zoom. It was last Thursday, I think right after we recorded the last podcast. And he, without referencing Mark Emmert's name, the name of the uh, president of the NCAA, he, he kind of pushed back on what Emmert had said recently, which was basically, we can't have college football if all the if all the students on these campuses aren't back on campus in class, if they're doing classes online, then we can't have football. And uh, after he Emmert made those comments, you heard other administrators around college sports. You heard some college conference commissioners start to push back on that a little bit, maybe move the goalposts somewhat, or or just sort of change the dynamics of where change the stakes of of how that decision is going to be made. And, and Stark's point was, you know, it's, it's not about having every student back on campus so you can have football. It's, it's about your campus being open and functional. And how do you define that? Well, he, he looks at what Mizzou is trying to do. And today, Wednesday, when we're recording this, is the first day of this phase at Mizzou where they're bringing back university leaders, certain faculty and staff, even some graduate students who are working on like lab projects, programs that they have to be on campus for. It's the start of this phased movement that they're planning to orchestrate over the next few months to bring Mizzou's campus in Columbia back to life. Um, and, you know, athletics is a part of that. Now, there has to be there has to be some clearance from the NCAA and the SEC. Those votes are coming up this week. Uh, and if that happens, and if it's cleared by the county and by campus, by the state, if it's okay, then you're going to start seeing Mizzou athletes back on campus. Now, can there be football games if some student athletes, some non 
athletes are still taking classes online? Well, Jim Stark says, yes, there can be. And I think you're going to hear that repeated by other ADs around the country too, that it's not, he's basically saying it's not cut and dried that, Hey, you have to have every college student on campus to have football. No, it's cause it's probably going to be some kind of hybrid model around the country. Anyway, you're going to have some online classes. You're going to have some in-person classes, 400 student lecture halls, 200 student lecture halls are probably, you're probably not going to see. Um, but um, you know, he's saying that that shouldn't define whether football can be played. It's probably not unrealistic to imagine a scenario in which the largest gatherings on campuses across the country are college football practices and games, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're going to not have 200-person, 300-person lecture halls, the biggest, next biggest thing could be your team practicing right. and then even a big group, you know, team playing games, whether or not there are people in the stands. So prepare for a conversation about if that's right or wrong and, and, and different people weighing in on that. Um, one of the things that has been interesting that we haven't talked much about in college sports, because there's really not a body that speaks about it, we've heard a lot from the players union in like Major League Baseball to talk about, hey, what are the safety precautions in place for the athletes? They get to have a big say in that. Not so much with college athletes. They're not employees. They don't have a union representing them. Um, and, and that has been a, you know, a topic of much discussion lately. Dan Wolken of USA Today writes this week, hey, now would be the time for college athletes to say, hey, you know, we need to be represented by, by a body. Now, that's probably not going to happen um, in large part because these, these college athletes don't really have another option. I mean, their other option would be not to play. And if they're trying to make the league or, or get, get an education or get their degree, then, then not playing would be, they would have to have a unified front. And I think that would be, you know, maybe they could pull that off, but it's hard to imagine that happening now um, with, with much success. But have you heard from, from players? What's the vibe about just what players are thinking about this now? My guess is most of them want to play and most of them feel like they're healthy and, and able-bodied enough to not be at severe risk from, from coronavirus. But but what are the what are the feel from from players right now? Yeah, I've I've seen a few tweets here and there. Yeah, I haven't had any, you know, face to face interaction with with athletes. A few interviews here and there. They they want to play. They want to get back to normal. You know, they all dream of playing in the NFL or the NBA, and they they realize that the only chance for that to happen is to get back on their campus and 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 play and go about their lives like they were before. But I think, you know, the more we hear from athletes, I think you're going to run across some that are going to have some concerns, not necessarily great fears, but, you know, they'll want to make sure that, that there's proper testing going on and, um, it, and enough monitoring going on and that their locker rooms and their weight rooms are being cleaned and sanitized. And you know that schools are going to do all those things, but I, I do think there is merit and having some kind of representation for athletes, college students, um, so that those policies, the best policies for testing that some schools are gonna have, that those are uniform everywhere. Because you know some schools, some conferences, they're gonna do this better than other places. And um, you know, some of it's gonna come down to resources, some of it's gonna come down to um, just what state they come from and how their state um, you know, doles out money and resources as far as the testing goes. So I think that that could be a, um, a a concern for not just athletes, but their parents too. We're talking about college kids, and especially when you talk about freshmen, incoming freshmen. You know, those parents right now have to be worried or concerned about what they're sending their kids off to. It's a little different if you're, you know, a 22-year-old fifth-year senior 
um, and this is your last go around. But um, I, I could see there being some apprehension, uh, and that's why these schools have to be prepared for all of this. And they've got they've had plenty of time to get ready for this. So it'll be interesting to see the if there will be a discrepancy between the policies and the resources and, and what goes on just as far as testing, because that's, I think that kind of reflects the nationwide concern about when it comes to coronavirus is, is the testing that goes on. Yeah, and, and then there's that whole other avenue of there being competitive um, advantages and disadvantages of, of certain schools. I mean, what this will take is, is every team, you know, having the bigger picture in mind. One school can't try to hide a guy who's at risk because they want him to play that weekend because then the whole thing could be could be derailed and we're talking about some similar things on, on the baseball side of things but but there's also the competitive side of what if you get to a scenario and, and this has been talked about where a certain conference is putting plans in motion to play and starting games while another one is behind um, if a, if, a, if a guy is at a school that is not playing what are his options? Can he leave that school to go join a school that is that is playing? I mean, what would the transfers look like potentially if the Pac-12 tables a season and the SEC doesn't? Um, because these guys have a, a limited amount of time and eligibility to play. Um, what happens to their eligibility for a year if a season is canceled? I mean, there is so much that has to be sorted out. And you get the impression, based off of reading the comments, that the SEC especially is going to say, hey, we're having a season. It's going to be as normal of a season as we can make it be. And someone's going to have to pry our football season from our cold, <laughs> dead hands before right. we say we're going to make significant changes to this thing. Yeah. And, you know, you got to think about there's there's a lot of non-conference games between the SEC and the Pac-12 or the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. There's a huge game, Alabama against USC. Um, what happens there? And that could come down to decisions that are being made by the respective governors in their states about whether that game can be played. So yeah, a lot of unanswered questions. There's got to be a ton of contingency plans going on, you know, behind the scenes right now with athletic directors, with conference commissioners, um, so much that, that still has to unfold. And, you know, I, we, we, just, we just really don't know yet. But I do think as the weeks go by, and especially covering the SEC and, and paying attention to the coverage in the SEC, it does seem like the momentum is rolling toward a season now will they have full capacity in the crowds stadiums around the sec gosh in here sitting at the end of may i, I can't imagine that's going to be the case i mean we're in a situation now where people are still you know quarantining home and businesses are just starting to open can we imagine tiger stadium at lsu with a hundred thousand people gosh that seems it seems like a long way away from getting there um but football as we know it as far as the schedule goes seems more realistic now than, than it would have a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think that becoming more realistic by the day. And, and I think that's part of the process of why we haven't seen a lot of plans because they're hoping to cement the plans when there are easier plans to make, right? I mean, if you would have tried to come up with a plan a week ago, it would have been harder than it would be now. And it does seem like just the, the country is moving forward and saying, hey, let's get to a point where we're, where we're you know, we're, we're easing back into things until we're stopped. And I would predict that would be my prediction. If something's going to stop the college football season from happening this fall, there it will be a setback caused by the pandemic. It will not be um, hesitation to try right. to find that 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 line. And and I don't know that that you know you can ask a lot of people if that's right or wrong, and you'll get a lot of different answers. But it just seems like there's so much 
we don't we know that there's so much financial well-being tied up in this for these programs that there there are so many incentives to try to find a way to to have some sort of a season and you had a real fascinating article in this week's paper about you know some of the the programs that are watching this you know the biggest fans for college football season are not even college football teams right now. They're the wrestling teams and certain baseball teams and soccer teams, because we've already seen this happen. It's not something that could happen. It's something that is happening. Right. Certain programs are being cut because of the financial setbacks caused and anticipated from the, the pandemic. And you had a great interview with Brian Smith, who I think it's, it's safe to say without argument is the coach of the most successful team on Missouri's campus, the wrestling coach. And he's really said, hey, this should be a lesson to us about how we budget for sports. We spend every dime we get, and we were not prepared for any sort of setback, which is almost kind of like so true, but you can't – it's like the unspoken truth of the college sports world. You have to spend every dollar you get because there's always going to be more money to be had. And, and this problem, this curveball, has completely shown how, how goofy that kind of thinking is. Right, exactly. I mean, you look at – and I – when – the, the data that Missouri every year and every school has to submit to the NCAA on what every program in their inventory of teams it, it makes in revenue and then spends in expenses. And you look at it and obviously football is on the top. Missouri football program in the 2019 fiscal year made just under $39 million and it cost them just under $24 million. So there's a net profit there. Now they don't look at it like a profit because they know that football is financing all the other sports, but that's a sport that is profitable. Uh, men's basketball pulled in about 13 million, spent about eight. So they're profitable. The next highest revenue maker at Mizzou was women's basketball under $600,000. So you go from 13 million to $600,000. And oh, well, what did women's basketball cost? It cost almost four and a half million dollars to run their season to operate. So those, that program and every other program at Mizzou operates at a budget deficit. That's why football is so important. It funds everything else. And, you know, I asked Steve Beezer, Missouri's baseball coach the other day um, about this dynamic. And he said, flat out, we need football. We know that we need football to play this season, not just at Mizzou, but everywhere. Bowling Green and Akron, two mid American conference programs just this past week or so cut their baseball programs not just for this next season forever they shut down their programs because of the threat that football might not be around in 2020 that's how serious this is you know brian smith's wrestling program it it cost 1.8 million dollars to operate in 2019 they only pull in they pull in less than three hundred thousand dollars a year so he does a lot of fundraising on his own uh, with his boosters with his alums he works tirelessly to fund that thing and it's still, you know, not enough to make up for what that program costs to operate. And that's why he needs football, just like every other coach at, at Mizzou. So just the, just the idea that there may not be a football season is, is, is a scary thought to these other coaches um, because that's what supports them. That's what supports their sports. So there is a lot of momentum, a lot of motivation, I should say, for – these other schools to want there to be a, a football season, want there to be one that, that pulls in money because it, it is the lifeblood of, of these college programs. Isn't, is this, if this isn't a time to change that or yes, get yeah. that back in perspective, then will there ever be one? And, and this, maybe this is, it seems like a simple conversation, right? This should be a slap in the face to the college sports world to be smarter with 
with how it spins and how it's saved. However, the other elephant in that room is if they're, if they're saving all that money, if they're banking that up, that is an easy conversation starter to, Hey, you know, why aren't you giving the participants, the student athletes more? Right. And you go back and the Washington Post had a fascinating story this month that, that talked about the NCAA at one point in time, basically telling it, telling, deciding we have to spend all this money in reserves because it looks bad. It's a bad right. look for us to have all this cash sitting around while we're saying we can't afford to pay, pay student athletes. Yet now they're being, you know, they never thought they would run out of money or be in a position where they couldn't have a college football season to go to the ATM machine. Yet now having some reserves would be a really smart thing. So can you even have this conversation without including that, that other dynamic of players deserving more? And it seems like the NCAA is in a tough spot here. Either it takes us as a lesson and alters how it saves and allocates resources, but it can't really do that without giving some ground on, on the fact that it has those, it should have those resources. Right. When it's been a lot of time arguing that it shouldn't and doesn't. Well, if you want to make the argument that you shouldn't pay athletes, it, the, 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 you have to go on a the ethical, moral, you know, embrace amateurism instead of saying we don't have the money. Because if you want to save and be smart and be more conservative and have have reserves to, uh, you know, help in times like this, then yeah, you alleviate that that you need to pay the athlete argument if you just say hey we shouldn't do that because we shouldn't do it not because we can't. Um, so yeah, that's that's the crux that these programs fall. In. I mean, Missouri's run at a budget deficit. We reported this tirelessly over the last three years for three years in a row. It's a million dollars or so in the in the red, but they're not you know losing a lot of sleep over that because they're not really trying to make a profit anyway. I mean, it's nice if you could, but again, not many schools really are. Uh, they're they're supposed to be not for profit organizations anyway. They're really not getting taxed on these things. So yeah, it's it it, it does bring up a lot of kind of counter arguments when they run into this problem. The whole financial model is just, it's a farce, but it's worked so long because there hasn't been a global pandemic to throw it off. I mean, and I I put this in the story, Brian Smith, when he was the president of the national wrestling coaches association a few years ago, he, he, at one of their meetings, he told me he stood up and said, we need to fix a problem. That's not a problem yet, but what happens one day of football, if something happens to football, we're all screwed. And he didn't necessarily know the coronavirus was coming when he said that, but he was right. And and now you see wrestling programs, Old Dominion got rid of their wrestling program. Um, not to say Missouri will, but at some point we're going to see a power five school cut a team. It's going to happen here eventually. Nobody wants to be the first one to do it. And, um, you know, then it could be other schools might feel better about doing it because nobody wants to be the first one. That's a great point, and it gets even stickier when you look at the Title IX implications. Yeah. You know, where you have to have equal opportunities for, for men's and women's sports, which you explained in your story. You can't just go hack the team from the, the ledger that people care the least about because you're no, you might not be able to. Right. Um, the other conversation there, too, is we're having, you know, we're having these talks at a time when most athletic departments have built a brick wall between their entity in their schools. Yeah. Um, you've got schools like Notre Dame that are getting money, tax money, federal money for the coronavirus stimulus for an athletic department that that is very, very wealthy. <laughs> it makes a lot of makes a lot of money. And and and, and the, the comeback for the athletic department at Notre Dame is to say, well, we're a separate entity as our as our university. To which if you told explain that to an alien, 
the aliens say, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they have Notre Dame on their uniforms. What do you mean they're, 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 they're separate? So it, what, what this has done to me, and I've been a big a part of this as anybody, but it has challenged me to just completely rethink and, and really take a step back and evaluate the model here and see that, yeah, it's easy to get caught up in it and it speeds along when, when, there's, no, when there's no bumps in the road. Right. But one really significant pothole and, you know, it's very important that they find a way to either patch over this as fast as possible and get back on track or potentially patch over it and, and, and wonder if there's a smarter path to take here, um, yeah. especially as some of these conversations get bigger. But they're not going to solve that problem now. Um, right. The best case scenario for the people involved is to keep the gravy train running and figure out some way to get the most out of a college football season. Yeah. Well, one thing that does work in Missouri's favor and other schools in, in the power conferences is they take in next to no university subsidies. Missouri athletic department does operate on its own. Now they get loans and they, they finance loans to the university for major projects um, like the South end zone complex, but out of Missouri's $106 million um, uh, revenue, only I think just over $1 million came from the university that was to cover out-of-state tuition fees for the athletes. But other schools, like schools in the Mid-American Conference where we're seeing them get rid of teams, they rely a lot on university funds to keep their athletic department alive. And, and that's why you're seeing them cut some teams because those schools are expecting to see their enrollment go down because of the economy and see their tuition you know, intake go down and the trickle down effect hurts athletics. So that's, that's one sort of protection that Missouri has right now. Um, but that's not to say that that's, you know, it's foolproof or that it's, it's, there's no way that that, that it, at some point the numbers are going to, you know, not work in their favor that way. So, but it is, it is a, a, just the separation between the haves and have nots, you know, these, these big schools and I'd, I'd include Missouri in one of them. If you step back and look at all of college sports, um, you know, they're set up, set up better than, you know, these mid majors. Yeah, I think it does. And that may be the difference of what comes out of this because it will, it will be the difference in what teams and conferences have enough ability and influence to try to play versus some that can't figure out a way. Um, I, I think we could see some teams that, that you could, if you put every schedule on the board, you might be able to go through and say this, this opponent might not be available to play. Yeah, you know, yep. and that could be the dividing factor there. Um, you know, you mentioned some of these programs have to take money from their universities. Some of these programs should probably be giving the loans to their universities. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just and that speaks to the the ends of the spectrum there. That usually, you know, it just kind of things breeze along. But now this might be um, this might be kind of the, the separating factor between the the you know we we call it the Power Fives, but what if the Pac-12 can't? figure out a way forward. I mean, it could even divide up them a little bit. So it's fascinating. Um, we're starting to see some ideas, some plans, maybe for what the precautions could look like. Um, Ross Dellinger had an interesting article, our old buddy Ross, about maybe what they, these these teams are, are actually kicking around when it comes to specific ideas. It looks a lot like what we saw in, in baseball, you know, a lot of precautions right. that hopefully, you know, would help. Although some of them are probably more for optics than uh, than anything. And, uh, you know, I, I think what you'll see is the SEC probably continue to take the lead on this uh, and, and without apology and hoping that other conferences follow in its wake here. That seems to be the way this is, is going to work. So we'll see how the, those vote, that votes go if, if Missouri's 
scaling back continues to work. Um, one setback could cause you know a pretty drastic change in this conversation. Um, quickly here though, before we before we run, Dave, we should hit a little bit on, I guess, some news, um, some 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 hope that that maybe Xavier Pinson will be out of the NBA draft soon and back at Mizzou in official capacity. Now he hasn't done anything to make that official, but there does seem to be some. Uh, some comments from him that suggest that uh, he will not be staying in the NBA draft, which I think is a really good idea for him. Yeah. You know, he said on an Instagram live video and, you know, it, to pay attention to everything these kids are saying now, you have to be tuned into everything they do on social media, which is impossible. But he, he said, yeah, I'm coming back to Missouri. Now he hasn't, as of the recording of this, hasn't officially filed the paperwork to pull out of the NBA draft, but that's the ex- expectation. That's what the staff has expected all along we know he wasn't going to get drafted and the way that this has all gone about this offseason it's not like he's worked out for NBA scouts um I would expect the same for Mitchell Smith and probably Jeremiah Tillman too those guys have been in Columbia not for the entire two months but for a good chunk of them working out and training um and yeah I don't think anybody expects them to be drafted now they could still want to play in the G League or play overseas but we've discussed that before I think everybody agrees it's in their best interest to come back for another college season. And, uh, and that's how Missouri is preparing for the season. Now, I talked to Conzo a couple of weeks ago and we talked at length about this idea of having three point guards on the floor at once, three natural point guards and Pinson would be one of them. So that's, that's the plan the team has had, you know, going into this process of building this roster for next year. And it's not like they're out openly recruiting, you know, a replacement for Pinson because that the thought all along would be that, that he'd come back this roster that Missouri could have coming back, it's one of those two-way streets. You can say, well, they weren't all that great last year. So, you know, where's the new exciting blood? But you can also look and say, look, most college teams these days, the successful ones are, are built with guys who age through the program and, and get better as they, as they get older. Um, You know, if this group all takes a step forward, Missouri's got a lot of experience, a lot of guys who've taken their lumps and, and have gotten better at certain points during their times at Mizzou. And if they all hit their stride, you could see how there could be optimism about this team. Yeah, if they all haven't hit their ceiling yet in college, uh, then you, you've got to be uh, excited. I don't, maybe excited is not the word because we've seen the results on the floor. But it's promising because, you, you know, you've seen glimpses from all these guys. Um, if it all, they can all put it together and then add in a few pieces, Drew Bugs being the, the biggest one, a pure point guard, pure pass first point guard from Hawaii, veteran guy who, who when I talked to Konzo about him, he's, he thinks he's got a little edge to him. Like, you know, hey, he's been in Hawaii off the map, you know, college basketball wise. And, and once, you know, one last year, if you can get a Cassius Robertson kind of year out of him, which is asking a lot because Cassius, not many grad transfers contribute and become first team all high major conference uh, players like he did. Most of them are role players, and that's usually the best case scenario. Cassius was by was beyond that. So if if he can if he can be that, if he can um, help make Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson better versions of what they can be, and then you get a healthy Tillman back, and you get Kobe Brown making the next step, and you you get something out of Torrance Watson, you get a healthy Mark Smith. A lot of ifs there. Um, then yeah, you can you can see where this team will be better. They are going to have a pretty tough non-conference schedule. Um, they play Kansas, we know that. They play Illinois. Conzo um, has talked about playing Missouri State on the road, 
Wichita State on the road. We know Utah is finally supposed to come to Columbia for the second part of that game. Um, they've got – they're in a tournament that's um, out, in, um, out in the East Coast that's – it's not, you know, loaded with NCAA tournament teams, but they'll be tested there. Uh, so, yeah, it'll, it'll be really, really interesting, assuming that this season is going to tip off. <laughs> you know, we haven't even <laughs> talked about, you know, what, what's going to happen to college basketball. Um, but assuming that by then the, the virus will be sort of under control to where you can have basketball, then it, it'll be a really pivotal year for sure. And it felt good to talk about uh, just an actual season without yeah. implications there or, or the unknown, which was, it was a nice change of pace. So hopefully we're doing that more again soon. Um, maybe we'll get into some of that too at Sports on Tap. I want to remind folks to check it out. STL Sports on Tap, the virtual edition, first ever. Presented by Scotsman Coin and Jewelry at 7.15 p.m. Wednesday, May 27th. Go to stltoday.com slash on tap and you can submit your questions early and also receive a an event reminder so you don't forget about it. I'll be there. Dave will be there and some of our friends here at the Post-Dispatch as well. Dave, good stuff. Keep up the good work and we will uh, talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good.